my name is Scott Boren. I'm the community pastor here at Woodland Hills Church, and I just want to welcome you. I just want to pray with you uh, now, and we are going to um, do it a little different today. I want you to imagine in this prayer and put your pl- yourself in this place. Uh, let's just say it's your birthday, and your best friend has come, picked, has come to pick you up and take you out to lunch and is going to drop by your best friend's house before you go home and you walk in the front door and you realize this is a surprise party and it's for you and you look over in the corner and there are all kinds of boxes with wrapping paper on them and they have all of all of them have your name on it now i don't know about you but if i enter into a party like that i'm going to there's one thing i have on my mind Yeah, I'll go around and say nice things to people and be all happy, but I want to see what's in those boxes. (laughs) And and when when you're in that place, you're in a position to receive. You're ready to receive. And I hope this morning that you or your heart is in a place that is ready to receive what God has for you. So I want you to imagine yourself as we pray, as as, as you encounter God, ask yourself, are you in a position where you're ready to receive what God has for you? And ask the Lord to prepare your heart and, and, to re, and, and position yourself to receive as we pray. So let's just bow our heads and, and just pray right now. Holy God, as we position ourselves to be ready to receive what you have for us this morning, I pray that your, the power of your spirit would empower us to really be there, to receive your truth to allow ourselves to envelop your truth, not to resist it, not to push it aside, not to argue with it, not to analyze it, but just to receive what you have for us, Holy Spirit. So God, we we want what you want for us. Allow us to enter into that and, and receive that, whether it be a new sense of compassion, a new sense of forgiveness, a new sense of release from condemnation, whether it be a a new hope that you are alive and well and active, even though we can't see the, the realities of that yet. I pray, God, that you would give people faith to receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but about 4 o'clock every evening, 5 o'clock, sometimes 6 o'clock, I sit around and my stomach starts rumbling. And I sit there and I'll look at Shauna or I'll think to myself, what do I want to eat? And if you're like me, you might go to the, the, the pantry or to the refrigerator and you think, ah, I don't want to cook. There are too many restaurants in this town. And they're all with some of them are within walking distance. You know, and we have choices. Quiznos right around the corner or sushi just within a three minute drive. Oh, we want Italian tonight. Well, there's all kinds of options just within Italian. We can go upscale, or we can go to this little hole-in-the-wall place where they speak Italian still. we We got all kinds of choices. We live in what is called a consumerist society. You want options, we've got it. In fact, we're probably the only culture in the history of mankind that's got the options we have. You go back even 10, 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have the kind of options with regard to food that you, 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 we have today. At, at just a drop of a hat, you can go and, and grab something. 
And whether it be fast or, or slow, whatever you want, it's there for you. We're in a consumerist society and a, a consumerist culture. I'm a consumer. And I want to let you in on a little secret. Uh, I kind of like it. Um, I like the choices. And it may sound very unspiritual to you to admit that. But the culture in which I have been raised and live has kind of shaped that part of me. I like the choices. I like the options, whether it be food or clothes or other things. I'm a consumer. That's part of our culture, and I can't deny that. The danger comes, though, is when the culture and the society or the ways of our culture begins to shape me. And I can become shaped by my culture in which I live, the American or Western point of view, or the, the practices or the rhythms of our culture. And it beca and become dangerous when these rhythms shape me to the extent that I become blind to what God is doing, or I don't understand what God is doing. And the scary part is that I don't even realize it. I don't know about you, but if you've encountered this, if you think about Satan's strategies about how he operates, he's not going to come to you and say, hey, guess what? I'm about to lie to you. And I'm going to trick you into doing something or thinking in a way that's contrary to God's ways. So be prepared. You're going to have a choice to make in about five minutes. That's really not how the father of all lies works. Satan uses the ways of the world to uh, just kind of say, this is the way everybody else does it, or this is the way things operate in life today. And those things creep into our lives to such an extent that we don't even realize that they are there. And as a result, we become oblivious to some of God's ways. We just miss them. Sometimes we outright reject them. Something similar uh, was to this was happening in the first century. When Jesus was going around preaching and healing people and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God and inviting people to participate in his kingdom, people were re responding to Jesus in various ways. And the culture of that day had infiltrated and impacted their point of view upon Jesus. And I want us to look at uh, what, how Jesus explained or he observed, as he observed what was going on and how people were responding to him, he told a story to explain how things were, uh, how people were responding to him. And we look at Luke 8, verse 1 and following, and we'll read this story together. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he scattered the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants 
withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and, the, and yielded a crop, a hundred more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, receive the word with joy when they hear it, but, when, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life, life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Jesus gave us stories. He went around the countryside explaining the kingdom of God with stories, somewhat cryptic stories, somewhat uh, uh, stories that were uh, hard to understand at times. Because he didn't want to just give a simple definition or a list of three points. He wanted people to enter into what he was doing. He was inviting them to participate in what he was doing. And stories help us do that. Stories draw us in. They draw our emotions. They draw our minds into what God is doing. So that we don't just analyze what God is doing. That where we learn to get it from the inside out. And stories open up our imagination. Parables do this, and Jesus used all kinds of parables to open up people's imaginations so that they would understand what God was doing in the world. And if you're wondering here today, what is God's will for my life? God, show me your will. Begin to read the stories of Jesus. Read his stories and your imagination will be reshaped and you'll begin to see how God is moving in this world, how God is shaping you, how God is renewing you, and you'll see his will. Begin to read the parables of Jesus, and you'll see how God's rhythms, how God's ways are a little bit different than ours. One of the most popular uh, parables is the parable of the sower. It's most often called that. Really, it should be labeled the parable of the soils, because it's not about the sower, it's about how the soils or how the people were responding to Jesus. A lot of times this parable is used to describe two categories of people, those who are in on God's will and those who are outside of God's will. Those who get it and three categories who don't. And if, that is the real, if that's the way we should interpret this, well, there's no use in continuing this sermon because, of course, those who get it are here today. And as a result, if we continue this sermon, all we become is judges of those who don't get it. Because we are on the inside, and of course, we're good soil, and those other three soils, they don't get it. If they just come to church and get it, then those outsiders, they just, they just don't understand Jesus like I do. 
So if that's the interpretation we're going to apply, then we can be easily slip into judgers of men. And so then comes the question, why did Luke include this story? I think there's a deeper meaning here that, than what, who, uh, labeling people as insiders and outsiders. It's really not about that. It's about people and their responses to Jesus. There were large crowds of people who were following Jesus. And some of them responded positively and other people responded in other ways. And as people followed him and responded in these different ways, he told this story to let other people understand how people were responding to him. Now, this isn't just about the first century. It's also about us today, about how people respond or receive Jesus' words. And the reality is, it's not about us, it's about me. It's about how I respond to Jesus' words. As I've looked at this parable this week, I've realized, wow, my responses haven't been quite what I thought they were. I've slipped into some patterns that have rejected God's word, and I didn't even know it. I bought into ways of my culture and thought, well, these are innocuous, these are neutral. And in reality, these ways, these things that seem neutral have slipped up on me and crept in on my life. And I didn't realize how they had stolen away God's word from me. This is about me, and therefore it's about you. It's not just about something that was going on in the first century. It's not just about some people out there who deny God or who are hard-hearted. And if they'd just come to church, they would get it. It's about you and me and how we respond to Jesus' words. I grew up on a farm. And you'd think because I grew up on a farm, I would understand this parable a little bit better. But I grew up on a farm that had corn we didn't do corn but we did wheat and barley and it have big fields and big tractors and you'd look something like this and like the, like the farms around here where you know you see big combines coming in and harvesting the, the grain now that is our modern experience of farming and you think how does this apply to back then you think well it the farming in the middle east is quite different than farming in minnesota it probably looks something a little more like this. There were hills, there were rivers, it was arid, uh, there wasn't a lot of flat places, there were paths so that, that allowed people to get from one place to another. They didn't have big plows and tractors to clear out the thorns and thistles and clear up the rocks. In fact, all of this was happening in the same place. And, what would uh, happen is the sower, the farmer, would have this big sack strapped over his shoulder. He would walk through his field, which was probably pretty small, and he would take the grain of barley, the seeds of barley or wheat, grab a handful of it, and scatter it. And as he scattered it, some would go into various types of soils, which we will come back to in a few minutes. Now, this is, this is uh, what was going on there in, in the midst of uh, this in, of the story. Now, every farmer or every person in, uh, that was hearing what Jesus' story would have understood what he was saying because everyone at that time was related to farming in some way. It'd be like today me telling a story about computers, of which Apple are the best ones, but it's, that's a... 
Uh, anyway, uh, if I were to tell you a story about computers and use words like RAM or keyboard or flat screen, all those kinds of technical terms, change your preferences, you go, I get it. You know that. 15, 20 years ago, if people were to come in and say, what in the world are you talking about? I remember the first exposure to computers I had, they had to define RAM and ROM. Random access memory and read-only memory. Kids today probably don't even know that because they just grow up with it. It's just RAM and ROM. We don't know what it means. It's just our part of our lingo. Farming was part of the lingo of the first century uh, in, in the Middle East. And unlike today where it's not part of our lingo, so we need to enter into what was going on to understand what this story means. Jesus explains to us this story and says the seed is the Word, the Word of God. In Western culture, the seed or the Word of God often gets interpreted as something like this, right thinking about God. Theological truths about God. Getting our minds straight about what is right or wrong about God. So therefore we read books about God by smart people, people smarter than us who sit around and think about these things so that we can get our thinking right about God. That's not what Jesus is referring to here. In Western society, we do that. We, we, we divide right thinking about God from right living with God or following God. But in, in first century society, and the way Jesus meant this, is that the word, the truths about God, weren't, something that weren't, weren't truths that were being analyzed, weren't things that were set in order or lists of, uh, uh, of things to get right on a test when you go to seminary or Bible school. Instead, these are words of truth that penetrate to the heart. This is what seed does. A seed, if you've ever seen what a seed does, you put it in the ground and, the, and it enters into the ground. The ground does not analyze the seed. It receives it. Or it rejects it. It receives the seed and envelops the seed. The seed dies and then produces fruit. The words of God... The words of God this morning, he wants to speak over your life to the point that it enters into your inner being and it becomes part of you and transforms you from the inside out. It's not something we analyze and go, hmm, I think I agree with that. Or we sit around and pontificate about over the, at the water bottle and say, you know, my preacher, Greg Boyd, he's pretty smart. He's smarter than your preacher. Now, that sounds pretty stupid. Of course, we'd never say that, but that's what we sometimes think. And we walk out of here and go, good job, preacher. We think, all right, Greg, he's a good, he's a good preacher. And we, we, we kind of get boastful about it at times even and say, wow, I'm a part of this big church with all this good word flying around, and I agree with it. And Jesus is saying, I'm not worried about whether you agree with it. I'm worried about whether you, are, whether you receive the invitation to enter into it. The Word of God is something that, that enters into us so that we enter into it. And we participate in it. And he was inviting people around him to participate in his words of compassion. To participate in his words of forgiveness. To participate with him 
in this radical revolution of the first century and said, are you going to come with me? These words of truth, these words of radical life-giving freedom and inner transformation, it was a revolution, but it was a different kind of revolution. It did not, this revolution did not make sense to many in the first century. It did not fit their categories. If you had been there in the first century, if you'd been walking around in Galilee with Jesus across the countryside, you would have been listening to this man who could have, you thought, maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the leader of the Jews who is going to deliver us from Roman captivity and bring back the glory of God to Jerusalem. Maybe this is the leader who's going to restore the glory of King David from the Old Testament that will show us what truth faithfulness is about and we will be a righteous nation again. He will drive out the enemy and we will raise up a standard and be God's people again. So you would have listened in on him and said, is this our leader? But Jesus didn't quite make sense to the people of the first century. You see, they had been shaped by their culture. They had been shaped by the rhythms and the ways of the first century of Judaism that they th where they thought they understood what God was doing, but in reality they were missing out on God's ways. They were missing out on God's things because if you if you had been there as a Jew in the first century, you would have made some assumptions about God and about his Messiah, the revolutionary who would have come to restore the kingdom of God. <coughs> See, revolutionaries of that time use words to stir up quick action. Jesus was using words to let the words germinate into a new reality, something that was slow, not quick. Instead of external motivation, Jesus sought internal transformation. Instead of political speeches that stirred emotions, he gave compassion that changed people's emotions. You see, revolutionaries aren't compassionate. They're radical, and Jesus was extremely compassionate. Instead of a call to power to drive out the Romans, he told the Israelites to love the Romans. Whoa, that, how can we love our enemies? Instead of spiritual grandstanding to gain power, he invited people to serve as he served. See, if you had been around Jesus at this time, you would have looked at him with a lot of questions, just like the people of that time were looking at him. They were analyzing Jesus, analyzing his words, analyzing his ways and saying, is this the Messiah? Do messiahs look like this? Is this religious? Is this right? Does this fit? One of the things you would have seen is the fact that there were women following Jesus. Something that in the first century, revolutionaries didn't have or let happen because women had their place. And if you wanted to be an upstanding revolutionary, you didn't let women follow you, much less women who had seven demons cast out of them, women of ill repute. And then he even received money from women. What kind of revolutionary does that? That's not very upstanding. That's not very righteous. That's, that doesn't fit our categories. Jesus did not fit. This compassion that he had upon people where he healed the little, the dead boy. I mean, he raised from the dead the boy of Nain. He had compassion on that situation and brought life to death, from death. He allowed the woman to anoint his feet, this woman who shouldn't have been at the table anyway when he was around 
the uppity-ups, those who were righteous and upstanding. What kind of Messiah does this kind of stuff? In fact, even John the Baptist, the prophet who foretold of Jesus, asked the question, Are you the one? Are you the one who's going to deliver Israel? And Jesus' response was this, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. The reason they would have stumbled is because they didn't get him. And so many times we don't get what God is doing in this world because we've been shaped by the expectations of our culture. And just as even John the Baptist was shaped by the expectations of what a Messiah would look like. And as a result, we respond to the words of God in different ways. We respond in ways that, we, in ways that can either miss out on what God is doing or we respond in ways that allow us to enter into what God is doing in this world. Let's look at those four ways that Jesus talks about. The first way that people were responding to Jesus was one of spiritual resistance. They were resistant to the words of Jesus because they did not fit his expectations. Jesus didn't do it the right way. He wasn't the right kind of Messiah. Jesus, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to stand up and take arms Drive out the Romans and take your rightful place as a king on your throne. And oh, by the way, Jesus, you need to do it now. Uh, and right now. We're ready to go right now. We're tired of these Romans. We're tired of the suffering. We're tired of what we're coming under. You see, the people then were just as impatient as we are today. How many times do we come before God and say, God, I'm depressed. Uh, deliver me. Um, it's not happened yet. I still feel depressed. Oh, oh God, I, I, I got a bill due next week. Uh, can you uh, help me out here? And the bill comes and we're like, oh, well, God doesn't deliver. He doesn't meet my expectations. He doesn't fit my categories. God's supposed to, I need a testimony, God, right now. And we put God on our timetable. God on our timetable. And this is a fast-paced world. You know, if, so, if, if I, I don't know about you, but when I go through a drive-thru and they tell me, pull forward, <laughs> I'll bring it out to you. And if you I go, mm. and my first thought is, well, what if you get my order wrong and I have to get out of the car and go in and get you to fix it? Whereas if I'm at the window and you get it wrong, I just hand it back to you. I want it my way. And everybody promises that you can have it your way, except for God. And we can have this spiritual resistance to God and saying, God, well, if you can't do it my way, then we're not going to do it at all. And we can even do this sitting in these chairs, worshiping every Sunday. We can, put, we can do this putting on our religious face and doing the religious thing. We can even... Yahoo and scream and clap the loudest and still be resistant to what God is doing in your, our lives. Wow. 
It's not just those people out there who don't come. It's me. I can resist God's activity in my life because it doesn't fit or it doesn't happen quickly enough. And as a result, instead of going to God for these things, instead of submitting myself to God in His holiness, instead of entering into His presence and allowing God to be God and me to be human, I start comparing myself to other people. I say, well, I'm, I'm better than he is. I mean, he's got an attitude. I don't, at least I don't have an attitude. I mean, he's bitter. Or I worship louder than my wife does. Or I do this, or we do that, and we start comparing ourselves to other people, and we think, well, I don't cuss like the guy in my, in my cubicle next door, so I'm pretty good because I go to church. We become the judges of others instead of allowing the holiness of the Word of God to enter into our heart and transform us from the inside out. Allowing His compassion, His forgiveness, His love to overwhelm us to where we're changed and transformed because of His incredible love for us. Those are the seeds that God wants to plant in us when we are hard and resistant, spiritually rejecting the things, and Satan comes and steals them, steals the seeds of truth, and we're not saved. We lose, we lose our relation, we lose connectivity with God. Now, this isn't talking about eternal salvation or whether you get to heaven or not. I'm not going there. I'm talking about right here where you are today. What is the state of your heart? Are you ready to receive what God has for you? Some other people during that time responded in another way. These are illustrated by the ground that was called rocky. Now, I've heard this passage preached on a hundred times probably, and I always imagine something like this. Big rocks, or actually bigger rocks. And I always thought, why in the world would he tell a story about a farmer who threw seeds on big rocks? Is the farmer just stupid? It just never made sense to me. Well, in reality, it was something a little bit more like that. Just imagine this rock, the rocks being like this, and there's a, a layer of about an inch of topsoil on top of it. And the seed enters into the topsoil. The rains come. It begins to sprout. And then the sun comes, and the rains go away, and, and, and the scorching sun hits, and the trials come, and it causes the little plant to wither. Because it does not have roots that go down to get the moisture that has come. And in fact, the moisture just uh, slides off, on, off the rocks down into the rivers. And as a result, there's nothing, no nutrition for the little plant. This is a resistance called emotionalism. Where we get excited about God, or we get excited about the things of God. We get excited about His ways and reading His Word or prayer or coming to church because things are good. And, but when the emotions die down, so does our commitment to God. Could you imagine how marriage would be if we just loved one another when things were good? Oh, that's what we do in America. I'm sorry. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> but that's what we do in America with a lot of things. We're friends with people as long as things are good. 
We like our work as long as things are good. We come home and we're all happy about work. But when things are bad, what do we do? We complain. And then we complain about God. And the ways of our culture infiltrate the ways and how we see God. And we, because, you know, things aren't great and things aren't happy and we're not up all the time and we're not, uh, everything's not glorious. Everything isn't fine. I want to challenge you something. When you come to church and somebody asks how you're doing, don't say fine. I mean, everybody's fine. Who wants to be just kind of middle of the road fine? That's what our culture tells us to be. Don't be up. Don't be down. Just, just be right there in the middle because no one really cares. When you ask how you're doing, you're just being nice. Did I say that out loud too? I did. You know, God invites us into not some kind of up and down emotionalism. And I'm not against emotions. I have them and so do you. God invites us to be emotional, but not to allow those emotions to control our commitment. Commitment is not something we embrace in our society today. Commitment is something we run from. So that's, that creeps into our, how we understand how God's working. And we say, oh, but God, I don't feel like it today. Wow. We can miss out. I can miss out. And I've seen how I've missed out. Whereas because the seed has fallen on rocky ground in my heart and realized, oh, there's no depth there. And I have to allow the soil of my heart to be tilled, to be prepared, to be turned over so that it can receive the truth of God and grow on fertile ground. There was a third way that people responded to the seeds of the time. The seeds of the words that Jesus spoke. This third way could be called the ways of the world. It was the seeds illustrated, the the type of soil that was illustrated by the the soil, the thorny soil. Now, again, when when I used to hear this all the time, and I, I was pictured seeds falling among a big bush of thorns. And I thought, dumb farmer? What, what's he doing? Why would he waste seed among the thorns? But in reality, it was something more akin to the seed falling on the ground, and there were thorns or weeds that would grow up with the seed of barley. The thorny bushes would grow up with the, the, the seeds in, uh, of, of wheat. And overcome them. Because if you've ever had a garden, you, you notice that the weeds always grow faster than what you're trying to grow. And you think, why is that the case? And then they, you, don't, you pull them out and they grow back. And I was like, how can this happen over and over and over again? And Jesus is saying there are things in our culture, there are things in our lives that grow faster than the Word of God. And they bring more emotional uh, or just more fulfillment or more immediate fulfillment to us. And he, he names three of them. One is worry. The second is pursuit of money. And the third is pursuit of pleasure. And if there's anything that describes our culture today, it might be these three things. We are consumed by worry. 
And if you're not, just listen to the television a little bit and there'll be another commercial for some kind of medicine that's going to make you worry about, do I have that? <laughs> oh my goodness, do I need that too? Do I need to go talk to my doctor and make sure I don't die too prematurely because I need that medicine? I'm exaggerating. But we are, we've been shaped by a culture of worry. We have been shaped by a culture of, of pursuit of money. What if you retire and you can't afford to move to Arizona or Florida? Does that make you a failure? By some people's standards, it might. Because we have these, our sights set on, we got to do this and we got to do this. And we got to have a certain amount of money here and then do this. And, then, and if I don't meet these goals, yada, yada, yada. And then there's the pursuit of pleasure. All you have to do is drive by your local theater and see how much we are addicted to being entertained. You don't even have to leave the same building. You can sit all day long and watch movies. Hopefully you'll pay for each one, but you can just go from movie to movie. <laughs> the pursuit of pleasure. These things can choke us. Now, I'm not against saving money and being wise about money, nor am I against being concerned about uh, things that are going on in the world and I'm not concerned about having fun. I think we should learn how to have fun. But the danger is, is when the ways that the culture treats these things creeps into our lives so that we become resistant to the ways of God and we don't even know it. See, that's the scary part about this third category is that the seeds actually take root in good soil. The soil's good. But because it's good soil, weeds can grow there too. And we can let these ways creep, on, creep in on us and we become so busy and we become so enamored with the patterns of this world. I was talking to a friend the other day and I said, so what's going on with your life? And he goes, oh, I'm just consumed with the suburban pace of life. Going here, going there, driving here, driving there. And I was like, wow. Is that all we have is... An excuse to say I'm consumed by the ways of the world so much so that that's the way we describe ourselves are there other options I hope so I hope so I think Jesus spoke of another option the option called the good soil he described the good soil as having three characteristics an honest and good heart holding fast to the word and persevering. You see, soil, good soil, receives the seed, envelops it, and holds on to it, and then waits for it to grow, and nourishes it, and creates this environment where the kingdom of God can grow. Now, if you have been raised on a farm or have a farming background or you've messed with a garden much or have a flower garden, this one fact is true. If you don't tend the garden, if you don't till the soil or plow it, it will become one of three things. Weedy, rocky, or hard. If you don't till your heart, if you don't prepare your heart, if you don't create an environment within your life intentionally. It's work. To say it's not work would be a lie. 
you know, just, just to say, oh, walking with Christ is just like walking through uh, fields of lilies. It's just beautiful every day. And every day is better than the day before. Well, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it. Sometimes farmers do not want to get up and work the ground. But they know if they don't, they cannot plant the seed. And we have to work at creating an environment of good soil where the, the seed can be planted in our hearts. And then the seed does its work and transforms us from the inside out. These ways, these patterns of walking with Jesus are different than the culture. Because you see, our culture celebrates the growth of saplings. In our culture, we're satisfied with something like this. If it grows to this height, we can look at it and go, well, I'm doing pretty good. Now, this is a little plant from somebody's office, and it's got good soil here, and but, you know, it's, it's okay. And we say, that's enough. We don't want to get too serious about God. We don't want to get too into God's word. We don't want to become too radical about prayer. And, oh, wow, I don't know if I can hear God. You know, I don't want to hear from God, you know, and be confronted by God about changing my life or doing something different. You know, and, you know I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with my sin. It's okay. You know, I've got my downfalls. Or, you know, even worse, it's like, I don't necessarily want to be delivered from my bitterness. I don't necessarily want, need to be healed from the hurt from my past. And it, we create an environment that resists the seed. And, y'all, yeah, we see a little growth. We see a little change. And people look at us and go, oh, you're doing so good. That's a pretty little sapling. You're a good little sapling. The kingdom of God is doing so much in your life. And you go, yes, it is. Because it's, it's way better than what it was, thank God. When it was nothing. And we were, didn't have the seed of the kingdom of God. But you see, Jesus is not into growing saplings. He wants to grow sequoias. He wants to grow something in our lives that we cannot comprehend. His goodness is so good that you cannot comprehend, the Bible teaches us, how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God. His compassion, for Jesus to be compassionate to the people that he has healed and the love of the people around him that he has loved that were outcasts of society, they could not fathom how he could love them like that. And if you'd been walking around with Jesus in the first century, you would have looked at him like, Wow, can, any, can God love like that? Can God be compassionate to you and transform you from the inside out and make you into a sequoia? Yes, little old you. But you're going to need to create an environment for sequoias to grow. It creates a good soil that, where saplings are just the start. What you have in your life today is just the start of what God wants to do in your life. Well, that's just a start of what God wants to do in this place. Because you see, what God is doing in his kingdom is bigger than you. 
It's bigger than this church right now. It's bigger than us. It's about the transformation of this world. It's about being able to pass something on to our children and our children's children and our children's children's children and saying, I want to leave something for my kids that is better than what I've got right now in this church. I've got a long view, a long obedience in the same direction, and I'm persevering. You see, the mark of those who have good soil are those who persevere, who stick to it. And they say, God, I don't understand. I don't understand why I'm following you as a single mom and my two teenagers are rebelling against you. And I don't understand what to do next, but I'm going to follow you. I don't understand why I have cancer and I haven't been healed because people have prayed for me. But I'm going to stick with you because your word has said you will be with me. I don't understand why my marriage is falling apart. I don't understand why we can't communicate with one another anymore. We used to communicate with one another, but I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to stick with her and see how you can work a miracle in this. I'm going to stick with you, God. I'm going to persevere and I'm going to create an environment for you to do something that I cannot understand in my life. Because if you try to analyze this, if you try to get your little theological categories right, you're going to be stuck. Because of the way a seed operates. Yeah, if you're a scientist here today, you know how it works. But to me, it's a mystery. And I just know, and every farmer knows this, you put a seed in good soil, it produces fruit. And if you're good soil, when the kingdom of God is put in your life, it produces fruit. Are you good soil this morning? Are you good soil this morning? Are you in a place where you can receive what God has for you, the word of truth? Are you willing to persevere and stick it out with others and not run away from relationships because we have expendable relationships here? Are you, are you in a place where you're saying, you know what, I'm going to worship at that church even when I don't like the worship? Because what we have in our society is if you don't like it at one place, you can go down somewhere, somewhere else. Find a church and plant yourself there. If it's not here, find, get somewhere else. Be a part of the people of God and what they're doing there. Plant yourself so that you persevere and, and go through the ups and downs. Because having it our way is a myth. God says the kingdom of God is something that's bigger than yourself and you can't put it on his timetable. How are you responding? How are you receiving the kingdom of God this morning? Let's just bow our heads right now. I should invite you to listen to a couple of questions. Are you allowing God to confront you with his presence, not comparing yourself to other people and the standards set beside them by them? Are you controlled by your emotions so much so that you miss out on God's presence during the hard times? Is your life full of worry, the pursuit of riches, and the pursuit of pleasures so much, though, that your passion of God is waning? Or are you persevering? Are you pressing on? Are you saying, I am going to be and create this environment for the kingdom of God to grow up in me? Holy Spirit, I pray that we would be a people that does just that. Each one of us 
arm in arm, being a people where we create this environment where you're growing sequoias all over the place. Let us be marked by that kind of beauty. Let us be marked by something radical and something awesome, something overwhelming, so that your kingdom, your your compassion might reign in this land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer this morning, please come forward and pray. We have teams here this morning for prayer for you. If you are in need to say, I just need Jesus for the first time, these prayer warriors can can pray with you and, and invite you into the kingdom. Be blessed in the name of Jesus. Thank you.